What up, y'all? I'm Brendan Whitted, and I'll be your host on this episode of Politics Aside, the politics podcast on the That's Black Male podcast network. As always, I'm joined by D.C. litigator Edward Williams II and Florida prosecutor Adrian Mood. We ask that on whatever platform you're listening, you please rate, review, subscribe, follow. Without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, man, as always, it is good to get up with you guys. I got to make sure I know how this thing still works. Um, g- good to get another politics aside in. We- we've had some some stuff, some real life stuff going on. So we've, we've changed up the we had to change up the schedule to to accommodate. But it is uh, it's good getting up with you, Adrian. Yeah, yeah. Gone for a minute. Now we're back again. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, obviously some really good reasons why we took a hiatus uh, celebrating uh Mr. Williams' nuptials, which was a fantastic thing to uh, watch. And I know, B, you were there. Um, but, you know, in these Rona times, we have to, you know, make some adjustments. But still, it was just, you know, great to see uh, a beautiful ceremony through the live stream. And I really enjoyed it. And uh, the best wishes to Ed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in the uh, middle of uh, marital bliss and political dread. So uh, <laughs> here we are. Good balance. That's a good it, balance right there. I actually really appreciate the uh, the marital bliss uh, part to distract me from the fact that the world is literally burning down around us. Um, and for those of us in D.C., uh, ground zero slash patient zero um, slash, uh, uh, in, you know, the uh, criminal identified as number one. Um, <laughs> is actively spreading Rona um, all <laughs> over the D.C. Uh, area. So um, I, I'm, I'm glad I've had a distraction of, uh, of the wedding, and, and I appreciate you guys uh, being there and supporting us and um, virtually and in person. And we're looking forward to this pandemic getting behind us so we can actually uh, turn up and celebrate. Yeah, uh, and Adrian, don't feel bad that I was there. I was the plus one, so it's fine. Like, it's, 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 we all know who the yeah, actual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want you to be under any illusions that I like. I was like, yeah, and then if you want to bring somebody, all right, cool, bet, bet, money, bet. Uh, bet money. That was a very important plus one. Okay, it had a gold star next to it and everything. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I think, I think you had a seat with your name on it. Look, yeah, it's, yeah, it said to whom it may concern. That's what it said. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say my seat, bro. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, well, so before we get into the politics and the hairiness of what's going on right now, this is a, it's a segment we like to to title "What You Want." It's it's a it's an opportunity to talk about maybe some other content that you're consuming, be it you know books, um, movies, new series. Because I know we're all kind of you know a little fed up in terms of being inside so i know i know this kind of community thing if i can hear about something cool and put me onto it i appreciate it i'll I'll start with you adrian um so i've decided to try to pick back up dune um it's uh being made into a new movie they're redoing it so uh i've tried to make my way through it it's pretty long so i'm about probably a little over halfway through it and trying to just push through and finish it because i'd like to have finished it before the movie comes out so i can go back and watch the original um, and then be ready for the new movie to come out. So uh, that's what I'm trying to get back to, um, you know, try to pull myself away from the Twitter feed long enough to read a book. <laughs> be challenging at times, especially when like things are always changing moment to moment in the age yeah. of Trump. They're like, you know, you think things are, <laughs> as, as we'll talk about, I thought the, the debate, the second presidential debate is going to be virtual and like literally push, push alert, like 10 minutes later, Trump's like, oh no, we ain't doing that. So Things are changing minute by minute, so I'm trying to get back into reading for leisure. 
Um, so that's what I've been on. Yeah. Um, I haven't been on much except uh, aggressive wedding planning. And I was about to say, I, I, was like, I, I didn't expect you to. Really yeah, I don't really have. A, I was like, I don't. I was like, I don't have anything really new. Um, I will say that uh, I did see a re- uh, this release notice about this new Christmas musical coming out on Netflix um, called Jingle Jangle, um, but it's with Felicia Rashad, Forrest Whitaker, Keegan Michael Key. Like that, the cast is unbelievable, um, and so I'm looking forward to kind of as we relatively quickly it feels like to me at this point come into the holiday season um that it looks like there's going to be a new competitor for you know top christmas uh movie so i'm I'm looking you know as a as a hu alum uh anything felicia rashad uh is in especially um when she's on stage i i mean i love you know obviously loved her in the cosby show love you know her movies and shows but um she was a musical theater uh student at howard and her love is musical theater and so i'm looking forward to kind of seeing her back in that space well, speaking of the HU alumni, uh, alumni family, mm-hmm. um, vice presidential debates were yesterday or last night, rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was something that I, I, I saw a lot of excitement about this, uh, about the debate. And I guess I understand why I, I was a little confused, like because vice presidents don't usually get this <laughs> love. Right. Like the vice presidential debate doesn't usually get this love because they don't really have that much constitutional power. They are granted to be heads of uh, of different initiatives and stuff, but like, they don't usually get it. But like, is that, what are the reasons why it might be different this year? Obviously you have a black woman there, but like, what, like what I, I was as surprised to see as many people hype for it as, as I did. And I'll start with the uh, UN. Well, <clears throat> I think there are a couple of reasons that people were excited about it. I mean, one, there's the obvious, right. you have a, you have a, um, a black and uh, Indian woman on that stage uh, for the first time in American history. So, I mean, I think that there's just general excitement from, people who care about um, people in power looking like the rest of the country. And so I think that that's uh, a big deal. But just if you, even if you didn't have that happening, even if there wasn't kind of a historical moment, we had the debate last week was just trash. Like it was, it was, you know, um, it was a kindergarten classroom with one really aggressive bully yelling and one kid trying to like, you know, keep his sand dry. Like it was, it was just kind of a, a mess. And so um, I think what people were actually hoping is that the adults in the room would be able to have a real conversation this week about what's actually affecting the country. Um, the other reason this was a big deal is that, you know, President Trump is 74 uh, and will be 74, I believe, uh, if inaugurated. Um, and, you know, Vice President Biden is 77. The chances that their vice president will actually have to step in into their presidency or into the role of the president um, during the four years of the next term is actually much higher than it has been for nearly any American president, um, probably since Ronald Reagan's last term or and before that um, FDR's third term. And so uh, this is a this is a situation in which, you know, it's not lost on the American people that these are two old white men, um, you know. To be fair, Joe Biden's a little older, but he appears to be a little healthier. Um, we at least know, we for sure know he's healthier now because he doesn't have COVID. Um, and 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 you know there was a I think that there was a point that the moderator tried to make last night that didn't come through very well. But um, you know we know that one of the long term impacts of having coronavirus is significant impact to your lungs. Um, President Trump is already one of the unhealthiest presidents we've had probably since Bill Clinton decided to like eat Big Macs and like do that. He, I don't know if you remember the um, there was there's a scene or this video clip news clip of um, 
of President Clinton significantly overweight, like going for a run in like a like yes a, and sweat yeah, sweat 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 like sweats, yes. yes and so yes man <laughs> bringing the tracksuits back man right. and so and so we haven't really had uh, serious concerns about a president's health in the way that we do about President Trump since at least that moment with President Clinton and you know he took his health you know that was that moment of him exercising publicly was about him showing the American public that he was taking his health seriously. Um, meanwhile, President Trump and his doctors um, continue to lie to us about, you know, what, or just not tell us anything. I mean, either, they're either lying to us or not telling us what's happening. And so, um, so I think the vice presidential debate was, was um, more important than it usually is because we were likely or more likely than usual. I mean, I obviously hope that both of them continue to, um, live during the next four years but um but i think you know it's more likely than not that um that it's that one of these people mike pence or uh senator harris could end up uh performing the function of president um during these next four years so i think that that's something that um that's what kind of puts the fervor uh, in the room not to mention i mean we just knew what was going to happen like we knew that mike pence was going to come into the room and kind of be a privileged white man and you know speak over the moderator and and senator harris and refuse to answer questions and you know just kind of we um and we i think there was some question about whether senator harris would be able to handle that and i think there was a question coming in about whether or not her foreign policy chops would actually be able to hold up like i mean if because if you're thinking about her potentially being president because uh, vice president uh because vice president biden is no longer able to continue the, the duties of the presidency you do actually care about and are concerned about what her views are on uh, foreign policy and she i think she held her own last night um in a way that was um i i, I felt comforted I, not that i was worried i mean look that was a black woman from howard i was never worried about her ability to function in the office of president but i think for the rest of the american public um, there was a question about, you know, what would happen if Vice President Biden was not able to perform his functions and um, Senator Harris needed to engage in some significant foreign policy effort. Um, and I think that, that those questions or any concerns about those questions were answered last night. Yeah, Mo. yeah. so I think there was a lot of hype because we've seen uh, Senator Harris in these uh, intelligence and judiciary committee hearings and just eviscerating uh, witnesses um, obviously this was a bitter, bit of a different spin because it was a debate and you don't have necessarily uh, control of the floor to like ask follow-up questions and direct witnesses to answer your questions. Um, there's a lot more, uh, this is your allotted time than their allotted time, at least in theory, right? Susan Page, the moderator from USA Today, struggled with that mightily. And her main way to seem to try to wrap the vice president up was to uh, thank him endlessly. <laughs> and it, I, I think... Uh, I saw her on CNN this morning and, you know, she's got glowing reviews for herself. But I think everyone who was watching that debate was just endlessly frustrated with the, her inability to rein in Mike Pence mm -hmm. um, as he continued to run over his time, time and time again. And I think, um, you know, CNN had an instant poll following and they found that people say that uh, Senator Harris won the debate 59 percent to 38 percent. And Mike Pence did himself no favors. His net favorability rating, like he basically stayed the same, 41%, didn't move at all. Senator Harris, however, went from 56% favorability to 63%. So she actually helped herself with this debate. And I think a lot of women out there, and we know there's a gender gap going on right now where uh, Democrats, are, Joe Biden and Senator Harris are favored by women. I think this only served to exacerbate that. Uh, at one moment in the debate, 
you know, it, it happened several times, but there was one distinct moment where uh, Senator Harris had to say, Mr. Vice President, I'm talking. And she did it with her smile on her face. And really just, I, I can imagine so many women in this country knew exactly what she was getting across with a man talking over her. Um, and it really resonated. And it fits the Trump administration, right? Uh, they, they have demeaned women. Uh, you know, some of his harshest rhetoric is reserved for women and talking about them in incredibly uh, unkind and vicious ways that are, don't pertain to policy whatsoever, but are personal attacks. Um, you know, famously, you know, we still have uh, Ted Cruz out here caping for the president, but the president also during the campaign, like called my, uh, Ted Cruz's wife ugly, which you would think it would be a third rail but has not been for uh, Donald Trump. Um, so I thought that, you know, the debate was, and, and we can get into a little more, was a really uh, interesting practice and show because we, we watched a lot of people not answering the questions, especially Mike Pence, although certainly Senator Harris was guilty of it at times. Um, I'm not going to pretend like, you know, the court packing thing they're going to keep bringing up because the Biden, you know, campaign decided not to answer the question. Um, which it's f fair to, to say, you know, we're not there yet. You know, we're not in office. We don't have control of the Senate. We're not there yet. Um, but Mike Pence just decided during this debate and Susan Page, again, the moderator, decided, OK, don't even don't even answer the question that I asked you. You just do whatever you want. And there was I thought it was a bad format. And there needs to be ability for the moderator to insert themselves and ask follow up questions. Well, I actually wanted to and I'll go right back to you. Moo. I actually wanted to ask about like the effectiveness of this like debate you know what i mean like is because when i think of debates i think of one two people that are are operating on the same shared facts and i think sometimes it can be difficult like because i'm watching it it's like well this happened no this actually happened well that's not really a debate then now you guys are actually having two different like you're two different realities honestly uh which make it kind of impossible so like i what would be like one of the things i'd like to see at least would be like just an agreement on a certain set of facts or something so because it doesn't feel like a debate to me it doesn't feel like you're you know oh this point was made on this side this point it feels like you just have a series of talking points like it's built it was a, i think it's 90 minutes 10 minute a nine 10 minute segments well okay well if i'm a speech writer i'll just write like you know three to five different minutes of, of different topics and and that's it and that doesn't necessarily feel like a debate so do you mood and then i'll go to you ed have any idea about like any ideas about how to improve this format? Cause I've heard a lot of people not super, uh, super happy with it. Well, I think one thing they could do is have the facts come from the moderator, like, and asking the question, like, these are the facts and then ask the question so that the candidate can't then just uh, reject them immediately and then follow up if they try to during their answer. Um, instead of like just asking these open-ended questions where no facts are suggested within the question, um, but I think that's important because, uh, you know, like you said, it seemed like we're in two different realities. And one, t one really uh, notable place that happened was when talking about the coronavirus, Mike Pence tried to equate H1N1 to it. And it's like, where are you living in this reality where H1N1 was anywhere near as deadly as the coronavirus? Like, you don't get to live in this reality of, well, you know, a bunch of people didn't die, although a bunch of people may have contracted H1N1. Like, the mortality rate is different. You treat it differently. When, you know, it, it like to try to excuse his, their failures and get off the fact that Senator Harris was killing him on the coronavirus. And she, 
I mean, we all know it. And I think I was surprised to see CNN in its post-debate coverage discussing it had to play a very uh, particular role in as a black woman not coming off as angry or overly aggressive, which is unfair. Um, but they even acknowledged it on live air. And I was like, wow, where are we now where they're actually acknowledging this is a thing and that she's attempting to thread this needle while also making her points like, you know, if I had been up there, I would be, would, I've been hard pressed not to say, like, take the whole Black Panther line. Like, you couldn't even protect your own president. You're the head of the coronavirus <laughs> task force. Mike Pence is the head of the coronavirus task force, and he couldn't even protect the president from the coronavirus. Why should he, like, that's the point. Like, why should we listen to you? The whole White House, White, the White House is ground zero for the coronavirus. You have clearly failed. Why should anyone listen to you? And then, like, even worse, if you notice the families come up, the, the spouses come up after the debate, very notably, uh, Kamala Harris's husband had his mask on. Also notably, Karen Pence did not. And it's like, what do you not get after the first debate where, let's, can, can we even address the first debate where it seems like everybody agrees, even the White House, Donald Trump was positive for the coronavirus at that debate. The Trump family all refused to wear masks and waved the Cleveland Clinic personnel off when they brought them masks. And it's unclear when they, they arrived too late to be tested before while they were at the debate. So they clearly blew the rules off when it came to testing. And they were positive. We know based on what the White House is even saying right now, they were positive for the coronavirus. And they were going to ex potentially expose the Democratic, the Democratic <laughs> nominee to the coronavirus. Like, it is insanity. And the fact that Trump is putting on this whole, like, you know, show about the next debate, like, get out of here, man. Like, you can't be trusted. And the White House will not answer when the president's last negative test was. They won't answer it because they know that uh, the truth, is, I think what the truth is coming out or trickling out is that uh, basically Trump didn't like doing the tests. So he stopped taking them. But as long as everyone around him was being tested. And that's why they don't want to say they don't want to say that, that he stopped getting daily tests. I, that's what's being rumored. It hasn't been confirmed yet. But what else is the reason not to say? Unless, you know, you haven't been doing the daily testing. So to get back to the debate, I just thought, you know, they live in a fantasy world. Mike Pence repeatedly refused to answer questions. I don't know if this form. I think you have to have a moderator with the ability to cut mics. And ask forceful follow up questions, because otherwise you just get. Mike Pence running over his time, answering the question he wants to answer, and basically just giving a campaign speech in a false Fox News bubble. Well, two things. Um, one, um, President Trump tried to kill Vice President Biden last week. Like, that's what happened. Like, he walked into that room with coronavirus, probably knowing it, uh, and stood, you know, six feet away in a closed indoor environment um, with a 77-year-old man who he's trying to defeat for president. I, like... We this very close. It feels real close to attempted homicide. Like this just this feels. <laughs> this is not a, you know, and and I think and I and I'm not. That's not original to me. Someone I I read or saw someone else saying that, and I was like, yeah, like that's that's what happened. Like some he walked in with a deadly disease, like in his body, and like you know, made every effort to yell forcefully in the direction of the vice president. Uh, who has since tested negative um, for COVID since the debate? Um, but there are there should be serious concerns about um, about the ability to um, not the ability to, to trust President Trump. We haven't been able to trust President Trump since you know January twentieth, uh, twenty seventeen. But but the the question here, the issue about the debate, um, is that 
you have to be able to um, hold them accountable for lying, both candidates. But obviously, President Trump is a you know um, serial liar. Um, you know, and and Biden is a kind of typical politician liar. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, if you kind of squint and look at it this way, he could be right, but that's not the gist of the answer type type uh, type answers. I don't. What's what's confusing to me about the commission on presidential debates and the whole world that we built around presidential debates is that um, they intentionally hire to moderate the most effective or people they think are effective interviewers or reporters of news. Like that's, who, that's how you get, you know, that's how Chris Wallace got the job, even though Fox News should never be a, uh, rewarded um, with a moderating spot. And so it's actually objectionable that the commission chose Chris Wallace, even though he's one of the better interviewers um, uh, on Fox News and he does hold the president more accountable than others. He supports or is supported by, paid by a network that is kind of state media TV. Um, but even leaving that aside, you had, you, you have moderators who are selected for the ability to conduct interviews. So, why not just let them do their job? Like treat the treat the uh, debates like live on stage interviews. Um, the you know they what they want is for the moderator to drift into the background so the candidates can like you know duke it out with each other. Um, that doesn't work. Be as you were saying when we aren't operating on the same set of facts. And so what you need is a moderator who is instead sees themselves as conducting a long range interview. Right. Where the other person gets to say, yeah, that's right. You're lying. You're like that's like basically that's that's kind of what needed to happen um, and probably needs to happen in debates going forward. I think that, that the idea of the moderator as drifting into the background of the debate is probably the wrong theory um, going forward, and at least until, you know, we as Americans can get back on the same page of agreeing that like science is real. Facts matter. There, yeah, there are things that are true and things that are lies. Um, you should be able to believe the CDC and the FDA. Um, like until we can get back to kind of a, a place where um, the where, where conspiracy theorists are like ten percent of the country and not forty percent of the country, um, then then I think that we need journalism to play a more robust role in the debates. And that's that's unfortunate. It's a statement of the times, um, you know. But I do think that it's necessary um, to do that if we are going to be you know 70 million people watched that first debate right like that was the that was the single uh most opportune moment um for america to really start getting on the same page about what we're all facing on november 3rd um and it was a completely missed opportunity and the same thing which can be said about the vice presidential debate because of the lack of follow-up um also just really quick aside on the court packing which is a, which is really democrats and, and i'm going to start using the phrase so i think it's actually inaccurate um the 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 question for Democrats and for Biden and and for Harris and I really do actually want them to lean into the question. I think that when politicians lean away from answers, it makes them it makes the American public like distrustful. Um, and I think that the reality is, mainstream Democrats, including myself, are actively thinking and talking about adding seats to the Supreme Court, which is perfectly constitutional. It has been changed. You know, the Constitution has uh, um, uh, does not require nine justices. In fact, the Constitution just says there shall be a Supreme Court um, for for the lawyers, uh, all of us on this call. Um, that means there can be one justice and that would be sufficient to meet the constitutional standard. There have been anywhere from five to ten Supreme Court justices over American history. And there's been nine since um, about 1869 or so. Um, and so um, there can be 11. There could be 13. There could be five. There could be three. And all of those are perfectly constitutional and they're set by Congress. And so. 
I would like to see an answer, especially from Senator Harris, um, you know, who is a, you know, kind of a, a lawyer's lawyer in a lot of ways. I would have liked to have seen her say last night, look, you, your position, Mr. Uh, Mr. Vice President, is that the president is, is engaging in his constitutional authority to appoint, uh, to, to nominate and, and, and seek the advice and consent of the Senate. Well, it is possible that in a next term or in any term in a future administration that the president and the, and the House of Representatives and the Senate may determine that there should be fewer or greater seats on the Supreme Court. That is also their constitutional duty and prerogative. And so you can't have it your you can't have it your way where the Constitution allows you to do what you're doing. But the Constitution, you know, somehow um, we're wrong for following the Constitution and doing what we might do. And, and then say, like, look, we're not going to address it yet because we're still hoping that you're like um, the justice you're trying to get through, which the majority of Americans don't want to see on the bench until at least after the election is settled. Um, if, since you're going to go against the will of the American people to do this, um, you know, to, to perform your quote unquote constitutional duties, we'll see what the will of the American people is um, when we're inaugurated on January 20th, uh, uh, 2021. And if the will of the American people is to add seats, then we will do our constitutional duty to do that. And I think you can you can give that answer and like let that it's fine. It's going to be news. It's going to be like they're, they're saying they might do it. Yeah. And they are saying they might do it. And they're saying the Constitution allows for it. They, which is like ground we need to be seeding now. Like this is the, we need to be fertilizing this ground so it, it doesn't feel like it's coming out of the blue um, when we do say it in January of next year. Like, you know, like make no mistake. Democrats are actively thinking about adding seats to the Supreme Court. And we should be. And, and Senator, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer already has said it that all options are on the table. And I okay. think the Biden, like, yes, the polling, what polling that they've done on court packing seems not quite popular yet, but that's why you get people ready for it. That's right. And so it's not such a foreign idea, like Ed's saying. And I think absolutely, if you put it in people's minds and then the Republicans make the choice to ram through, despite, you know, two members of the GOP Judiciary Committee having coronavirus testing positive, uh, if they choose to ram through and have Zoom hearings to get get her to a co confirmation hearing, um, I think all options have to be on the table. And like, look, man, Biden may be a little squeamish about it, but uh, come January uh, 2021, if we have full control of government, you're not running for a second term, man. What do you got to lose? Like, you have to protect the interests um, that we fought so hard to get to. And uh, notably, um, given what has recently happened, look at what Alito... And Thomas said recently in, in reference to gay marriage and overturning it, like, no, everything is on the line, not just Roe v. Wade, which is also important, but like everything is on the line. And that's what we have to think about when we think about the Supreme Court is like letting this small minority control the majority. And that's what Republicans are trying to do because they know their agendas are not popular. So they're stacking these anti-democratic institutions. We know that the Senate is not exactly demographic it's not democratic because these rural states are rewarded with the same representation as more populous states um you know you have you know wyoming with the same representation as california we know that the judiciary is not set up to be you know democratic that oh well we get this many liberal justices or judges and this many conservative ones it's like just who's in power and ha has control of the senate gets to push them through so you have the senate pushing through judges that with lifetime appointments which favors, uh, you know, conservatives because, you know, North Dakota and South Dakota, you know, get just as much as California and New York. Uh, so I think all options have to be on the table. Making D.C. a state has to be on the table. G giving the option to Puerto Rico of becoming a state has to be an option. And like 
the GOP has given away the game. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell gave away the game uh, in talking about D.C. statehood because he's basically said they'll get two Democratic senators and we can't have that. Like, that's the reason that can you continue to tax these people without rep representation is, well, they'll have more power. So we can't have that. Um, well, I wanted to I wanted to ask as we since we've arrived here and, and I don't believe President Trump had nominated her for the position at the time. So correct me if I'm wrong, but Amy Conan Barrett, um, her confirmation hearing is set to be next week. Um, so just I'm really more just asking for a large general, um, some logistical th stuff, what the next you know few weeks might look like and also anything that you might know or think might be of interest to people listening about, you know, some of her decisions previously. Yeah, and so, I'll start with you. So Judge Amy Coney Barrett is a judge on uh, the Seventh Circuit. Uh, she was uh, uh, nominated by President Trump earlier in his administration and has now been nominated for the Supreme Court seat um, vacated by uh, Justice Ginsburg um, by, by her death. Um, Coney Barrett is a um, former law clerk to Justice Antonin Scalia, um, who was an arch conservative um, member of the Supreme Court um, until uh, his passing away in uh, 2016, February 2016. Um, she has said um, quite publicly that she views herself in the same mold as Justice Scalia um, and that she basically uh, adopted or agrees with his legal ideology. So what does that mean in practice? It means that she does not believe that gay marriage is the law of the land or should be. Um, she does not believe that the Constitution guarantees a woman's right to choose and is um, anti-abortion. It means um, that there will probably never be a criminal defendant case that she likes um, where or that she wants to fall on the side of criminal defendants vis-a-vis um, -vis police officers. It means uh, that the Affordable Care Act, um, she likely views it or Obamacare likely views it as unconstitutional and will likely vote to strike it down um, on November 10th when the Supreme Court hears a case asking exactly that question, should the Affordable Care Act continue to exist? So um, on every issue that Justice Ginsburg would have voted for, she will vote against. Um, it is the exact, you know, history, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. This is exactly what happened um, <laughs> when Justice Thurgood Marshall stepped down because of his illness, um, in 1992 um, or 91, and Justice Clarence Thomas, um, who, you know, looked like him in the mirror, um, but was the exact opposite of him ideolo ideologically, um, morally, I would say, um, and in all the ways that mattered to being a Supreme Court justice. And so um, it's deeply concerning. It's also deeply concerning that this is happening and being rushed through while people are voting. Voting has started. Like people are actively voting. Um, you'll recall that um, when Justice Scalia passed away, um, he nominated Merrick Garland in February of that year, 2016. And Mitch McConnell, who was still majority leader of the Senate, um, said that there's no way we're going to pass a, uh, a nominee um, through the Senate during an election year, even though there were many, many, many months left. Then comes Amy Coney Barrett. She will have, if confirmed, the fastest one of the fastest nominations to the Supreme Court in American history, which means less time to evaluate her, less time for the Judiciary Committee to actively investigate 
Um, she's been a law professor at Duke Law and as well as being a judge, she has said and done um, several things that I think are deeply concerning. One of them I find is, is kind of just gonna come up and just talking about hot button issues that are gonna come up next week in the confirmation hearings. One of them is how Democrats want to play with her statement, basically that um, her faith leads her um, views on the law. It's touchy because how someone approaches the law is obviously informed by their personal experiences and their and what they believe. Um, but your job as a judge or justice is not to impose your Christian values on the American Constitution uh, and on the American people. Um, and she belongs to several groups for whom that is exactly their ideology. Um, and obviously, when we say Christian values, we mean white evangelical Christian values. We do not mean black liberation theology values. Like, there, there are other <laughs> Christian, and, and, there, and there are plenty of Christian theological values I agree with. Um, but they're not the ones that are also the basis for the KKK. And, um, and and several other organizations of white extremity. So, so I think she's. Um, so, the the most interesting thing that will probably happen next week is that uh, Vice Presidential nominee Senator uh, Senator Harris sits on the Judiciary Committee and will actively question the nominee. So that will be the big um, blockbuster moment next week. We'll be watching Senator Harris as Vice Presidential nominee, preparing to and uh, and I I could guess to some extent what she will ask her. Um, uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, when Justice Scalia uh, had passed away, was one of the people who said publicly on the record that no uh, nominee should be appointed to the Supreme Court during an election year. Now, here she is, 20-some-odd days before the ele- before sitting in the seat as a nominee. And I imagine Senator Harris will hold her into the fire on that and will ask her, were you lying then or are you lying now? And and I think that that will be, um, that will be the moment that will probably get the most airtime. Ultimately, it matters very little. Uh, they have the votes. Um, so long as not enough Republican senators die of COVID between now and then, they have the votes. I mean, this is there is a we live in a world where that is actually a possibility. There is an actual possibility that there will be too many Republican senators on ventilators or not here anymore to get the nominee through. Like that, that is the world we are in. So, so barring that uh, possibility, uh, she'll be Justice Barrett um, before the election. Yeah. And can we talk about why they may come down with the coronavirus? Because Amy Coney Barrett and Donald Trump decided to have a huge COVID party in the Rose Garden at the White House last Saturday. And like a bunch of people who are at that event have at that event have now tested positive. And how irresponsible of everyone involved. No masks uh, were worn. They're seen hugging, shaking hands, being in very close proximity to each other, even though they're outside. Um, but very close. It's almost weird nowadays when you see people hugging and stuff. Like, what are you doing? Whoa, 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 <laughs> get away from me. Uh, but they're just like acting like a pandemic that has taken the lives of 210,000 people isn't even going on. They live in an alternate universe where those are just made up numbers, it seems like. And now a bunch of them have the coronavirus. And I don't know if y'all have seen, but uh, I have not seen an update on Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, who helped with debate prep. And every single person who helped Trump with debate prep has tested positive. Every last one of them. Chris Christie went hospitalized himself, and I haven't seen an update. So uh, just wait on that. Wait on that push alert. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I hope, you know, I will say, you know, I'm not wishing for her. You know, I wish him well. I, I I mean, I am a a lot less uh, apathetic as as when it comes to the health of the president of the United States uh, with Chris Christie. However, like how arrogant of you all. And most Americans don't have the luxury of just checking themselves into the hospital 
when they need this kind of medical care. Right. And the president of the United States was getting experimental drugs, uh, the best care that the taxpayers, unlike himself, can pay for. Like, thanks for using our tax money that you don't actually pay, uh, Mr. 750. And yeah, free. That's how hundred fifty dollars ran out the hospital real fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the moment they they check your vitals, that seven fifty is gone. <laughs> like, oh, we had to run you an IV. Not a, <laughs> insufficient funds. Uh, I I do I do want to ask a quick question just based off of that, and I saw some of that, and like you don't have to get necessarily into what you personally think, but like when the president contracted the disease i'm i'm just i'm over here scrolling through the timeline i'm just i'm just i'm just over here scrolling and so kind of i it was an interesting kind of juxtaposition of people like you know uh, you know wagging their fingers that's what you get kind of stuff in terms of cuz you have been wildly irresponsible with a lot of your decision making and then other people saying you know that's that's un i'm not not necessarily unchristian just the wrong thing to do um and so kind of just i just it's just a general, more general question about like forgiveness or like. Yeah, no, nah, man, I'm not. I'm off that Michelle Obama too. Like that. Like, what I'll say is, <laughs> me and mine, uh, we were on the uh, Ivan Drago from uh, Rocky. If he dies, he dies, man. Uh, like <laughs> Rocky Four. Like, yeah. We have to remember the context <laughs> of the person we're talking about here and the horrors he has visited upon people. Like this man has been indifferent towards people, you know, dying from COVID. He downplayed it. He's on tape saying he didn't tell us the real dangers of it. He's out here encouraging his supporters not to wear masks, having rallies where people are contracting the virus. Herman Cain. Did we forget Herman Cain? Like, he died after bragging about not wearing his, a mask to the Tulsa rally of Trump's. Um, not to mention the unspeakable horrors visited upon children separated from their families that will never be reunited. Like, some children were reunited, and that separation is going to traumatize them for the rest of their lives. Some of those kids will never see their parents again and will never be reunited. So I'm sorry with the people clutching their pearls that I'm not out here personally wishing the president well. I'm sorry. Where were, where were those well wishes for those children at the border and those families at the border? Where were those well wishes for the 210,000 Americans that died? No, nah, I don't have I don't have to wish ill on him, but I don't have to wish him well either. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I'm going to plead the fifth. Uh because <laughs> okay. you know, I just um in a in a typical American presidency, this would this moment, the moment when the president comes deathly ill, would be a patriotic moment of rallying around the flag in which we um we kind of stand together as Americans. Um, but it's really hard to do that um when this president is the reason we can't stand together as Americans. Like he is at the center of our like current conflict. Um, and, you know, he also has, you know, he has orchestrated even his having the disease in the same way that Kim Jong-un orchestrated his, you know, health failings uh, last year. Um, and the way that, um, you know, all of the, you know, Bolsonaro in Brazil orchestrated his bout. It's, it's all kind of, it's all show. You know, the president went to the hospital Right. That wasn't like that wasn't an accident. Like the president didn't like they didn't like, oh, just going to drop him off at the hospital real quick and see and make sure to check his vitals. No, the president <laughs> was rushed to Walter Reed, probably at the six or seven day point of having the virus in the seven to 10 day period is when people deteriorate the, the fastest, um, traditionally, at least. And so but now believing he had he had had the virus for probably about that long by then. He was in the hospital and did and didn't and actually did. We now know receive supplemental oxygen at some point. 
Um, they, you know, they didn't have to put him on the ventilator. Um, we don't think, um, but but he did it. At least we know have to release receive some supplemental oxygen. You know, and whether or not he's beat this thing or not is really unclear. Um, and his doctors again aren't giving us any information. So even so, even it's hard to even it's hard to rally around someone when the propaganda never stopped. Right? Like it's it's like it would be different. I think if one he came out of this if if his, if his first statement was. I am an idiot and a terrible person, and I should have taken this more seriously. And now that I've experienced it, even though that would be a t like that's terrible, right? Like you shouldn't have to experience something to be able to empathize with the two hundred ten thousand Americans who have died and the seven million Americans who have contracted the disease. And you shouldn't definitely shouldn't have to be to need that to happen to empathize with them as their president. But let's just, let's just let's just say that that happened, right? Let's say that the the tweet that we got on Friday wasn't. Um, I'm doing great. Love the doctors here. Um, you know, propaganda. And instead it was, I am deeply remorseful for the way I have behaved with respect to this virus. And now that I have experienced it, I am, I promise I'm going to do better. I, I called Nancy Pelosi and said, let's get COVID relief out. That, like he could have used that moment as a pivot in his campaign. I actually probably would have actually aided his campaign quite a bit if he had made that pivot, but he just couldn't do it. Right. And, and so in that way, it's hard, it's hard for me who, who someone who, deeply loves like the institution of the presidency um, who like deeply cares about American politics. Um, it's really, it's actually like discomforting that I don't feel uh, the need to wrap myself around the flag right now. Um, and, you know, and that's, but again, this is, that's where he's brought us to to this moment in American history. Yeah. And if I could cut in, like talking about Walter Reed, uh, the fact that he doesn't, yeah, yeah, go like, ahead. he talks about respect the troops. We respect the police. Do the Secret Service count in there? Are they amongst that number? Uh, he had a bunch of supporters like outside, massless, celebrating in close quarters, probably spreading, spreading the disease there as well. But he subjected at least two Secret Service agents inside the hermetically sealed presidential SUV with someone who we know has the coronavirus. Like, that means, you know, it. it so there's no air circulation. And they're sitting in there with him, right? And the Secret Service has had issues with agents testing positive before because of all the recklessness of the Trump campaign. Like, that's a thing that has happened. Like, so I'm sorry, maybe it comes across as a little uh, heartless that I just don't care what happens outside of like national security interests sure. um, and ensuring, you know, that Americans are safe. Like, man, this guy's kind of, you know, there's this whole saying, man, you make your bed, you got to lie in it. Well, luckily for him, the American taxpayers make sure that's a really comfortable bed with the best health care that our tax dollars can buy. So no, I don't feel bad for him. I feel bad for the 7 million people that have contracted this disease, the 210,000 people who died prematurely and unnecessarily because this administration failed to act. And also fun fact, right? And this is, here's, here's, your, here's your trivia uh, answer um, for whenever the pandemic is over and people are doing trivia again. Um, you know, the, the president's hospital is not Walter Reed, right? <laughs> so presidents, presidents do not go to Walter Reed Medical Center um, for care. The president's suite is at the is at George Washington University Hospital. Um, it is where uh, pre almost all pre previous presidents, at least for some you know some time period of history, have received have received their care. There's a tower in that in that hospital at GW, um, and the care is managed by a team of people who are who actually have some experience or have significant experience managing the care of the president. Um, so there's so there's also it, it is uh, weird. For the president to have gone to Walter Reed for his medical emergency instead of going to GW, um, but it's also like unsurprising because Walter Reed is a Navy hospital. He is the commander in chief. 
he has the like he can give commands to the doctors um at that hospital whereas he cannot give commands to the doctors at gw yeah like uh, apparently it's come out he had people sign ndas that's right that's right uh that treated him the last time he went for an unexpected uh for what he did, walter reed for what he later told us was a mini stroke which yeah. No one, yeah no one thought it was but that he tells us you know i went to i yeah that time when i went to walter reed and people are saying that i went there for a mini stroke that's not what happened it's like no one was saying that but you just told literally it. no one. <laughs> literally <laughs> literally. <laughs> he he is the no one meme. <laughs> so, but but I think these are you know it's just I think that 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 tidbit just like just suggests how weird this whole situation is, um, and how little we actually know. Like I'm still waiting. I honestly still think that there's a high chance he's going to be hospitalized again um, in the next week. I just there's just this is this is a very weird situation in which we know so little about what's actually happening. And it's um, it's at least scary to the, for, the, for the national security point that Adrian uh, briefly raised, right? Like the reason why, why the Americans are entitled to know what the president's health is at any given moment is because Kim Jong-un and Xi Jinping um, and Bolsonaro and uh, you know, Maduro and you know, people who are actively plotting against the United States or who are actively thinking about plotting against the United States are looking for a moment of weakness. And guess when the president, guess when the country is weakest when your president is on a ventilator and nobody knows. And so like, you know, there, there is a, um, this has been, this has been like one of the most irresponsibly handled like presidential health emergencies. And I honestly don't think we're through it. I just like, just the cycle of, of the coronavirus suggests that like he may, there may yet be a second downturn um, and if he's hospitalized again, I think that the, that the chances that Vice President Pence has to step in and become president because the president cannot function is actually relatively high. Um, so, you know, we, we, we all have to be in wait and see mode, which is not the mode we should have to be in as the American public. Yeah, so far that they were there were reports today that they were going to switch it to a virtual debate. Uh, president Trump has since uh, stated that uh, I'll paraphrase, but since stated that he wasn't interested in any sort of virtual debate right now, I think the latest is, as you guys have mentioned, this is a pretty fluid story, but um, I think the latest is that it's going to now be a town hall uh, with, with, uh, with Joe, uh, President, uh, Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, just They're still going to have a forum. It just will change, obviously, if one half of the debate decides not to participate. Any thoughts on that before yeah, we close so, um one, he needs to stop being a baby and get on stage and debate. Um, you know, he doesn't want to do the uh, any debate at this point because um, he performed so poorly in the first one, and now he has he's going to have to answer all these questions about having coronavirus, uh, which he doesn't want to answer. And the the second debate uh, traditionally has been, at least for the last few uh, years, at least maybe since two thousand or so, has been styled as, as a town hall debate where actual voters get to ask you questions, and so. Um, it's a lot harder to not answer a voter's question than it is to not answer a moderator's question, especially when the voter is standing there waiting on you to answer it. And so, um, and so I think that his decision not to engage in the debate, at least for now, I mean, who knows what, by, by the time this pot is up, that, that, that may be completely different. What debate may be back on. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but assuming the debate doesn't <laughs> happen, I think that there's the, one of the reasons the debate isn't going to may not happen is because he actually doesn't want to debate at all. And he definitely doesn't want to face uh, American voters. Um, and for, and Biden, honestly, can't take the risk. Like, I mean, you cannot get in a room with someone who may be actively shedding virus. We actually do not know still. We do not know. We think the best science says that you shed virus for about 10 days. That's the best we know. 
But that's but we don't have a clear 100% solid answer. It's very possible that people could be shedding virus at least in some form for weeks after contracting COVID. Um, and Vice President Biden is right to not put himself in a room with the president ever again, really. I mean, you know, unnecessarily for sure. So, um, so I do, you know, I think the debate, I hope some type of uh, debate goes forward. I hope that all the media, um, except Fox News, which will cover whatever Trump is doing, um, if, the, if, the, if Vice President Biden still decides to go forward with the town hall and the commission on presidential debates is willing to go forward with just him, which I hope they will, um, then I hope all the media who would usually cover it, cover it. I hope that it gets covered on all the local media, I hope it gets covered on, um, on, on all the cable news television, and it gets treated as a debate that the president didn't show up, that, uh, didn't show up to. Um, and, you know, we'll see if that, if that is what happens, but I, I hope that's the result. So I will, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. You know, obviously the president changes his minds, his mind um, from minute to minute. If you're the last person to talk to him or give him certain advice, who knows if he would be healthy enough to stand up in a room for 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. I, I, and certainly wouldn't I, the Biden campaign has so much ammunition on this front because Donald Trump exposed everyone at that last debate. And that's what's clear now, even by the White House's account, because they are now agreeing to the timeline being the uh, Amy Coney Barrett COVID party being where he contracted the virus or getting it from the Gold Star families that they met with, I think, on that following Sunday. Like they all agree that at that debate, Donald Trump had the coronavirus. So he knowingly exposed Joe Biden to it. Um, so they absolutely should not have an in-person debate. Um, that, that you just cannot trust the Trump campaign on anything because um, they continue to flout the rules like we saw Karen Pence last night. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Trump is losing. Um, I just pulled up 538, which I know uh, Ed is a huge <laughs> fan of. And uh, right now their election forecast uh, model has Biden winning 85 out of 100 times. Basically, when they run it 40,000 times, he wins 85% of the time right now. And I know that 15% of the time is a scary number, but like things are not going well. And the slate of polls we're seeing come out, basically Biden is up almost 9.5 points nationally. He's up in all the swing states um, that are the battleground states right now. And even pulling even in places like Texas and close in Georgia, Lindsey Graham is in a dead heat with Jamie Harrison, who destroyed him in the South Carolina Senate debate um, to give him a shout out. So I think Mitch McConnell is forcing through this Amy Coney Barrett nomination because I think they're even realizing they're going to lose the Senate. They think they're going to lose the Senate if voter suppression, rampant voter suppression and uh, shenanigans aren't at play on Election Day. And I think the important thing for us to do as Democrats is to continue to press the need that polls are not voting. Polls are a snapshot in time as to the state of the race, but they do not. They are not voting. So it does not matter what the polls say unless you go and vote. And shout out to LeBron James um, for uh, his organization that he started, uh, providing rides to people in Harris County, Texas. More than yeah, I think it's more than a vote, but I think helping it's more out. Than a vote. I think he's uh, part of that. Yeah. Since uh, Governor Abbott of Texas decided to reduce every county to only having one mail-in drop-off box, despite the fact that Harris County is gigantic. Uh, and that's the county outside of that's the county of Houston is in. Uh, but basically providing lift, free lift rides to drop off your ballot. Um, shout out to him, because I think everybody realizes what's going on with conservatives is, oh, we can't win elections anymore. So we have to rig the game. 
And so we're going to see a lot of shenanigans leading up, which is why I would encourage anybody listening. If you can vote early, vote early. If you can vote by mail, get it to your election place as soon as possible. Do not count on the United States Postal Service close to the election to get it there in time. If you can drop it off at a um, election center or um, your local election administrator's office, please do that. All right, so this is the time that we uh, like to give Ed and Mood um, their own, like just just a, a quick snapshot of something that they found uh, deeply personal, deeply interesting that they want to expound upon. Because it closed. Yeah, I'm going to go back to something actually that Mood we'll started with it. earlier. <clears throat> because so uh, so Monday morning, I got married on Sunday. Um, Monday morning, uh, October sixth, woke up to uh, the concurrence and denial from a, a case, <clears throat> and where Justice Thomas and Justice Alito made it very clear that they would reverse um, a Burger Farrell, which is a decision um, that granted uh, marriage equality in the entire United States. And, um, you know, it was, it is, I think that I was someone who believed that Obergefell, like Brown v. Board, was a decision that was kind of so popular, so well ingrained that it was um, unable to be disrupted. And this is something, you know, I, I do this for a living, like Supreme Court work, thinking about the Supreme Court and strategy and litigation in the Supreme Court is like my day job. And it still blindsided me um, that this was up for grabs again. And we, we are in a situation where Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, a Justice Barrett, a Chief Justice Roberts who wrote a terrible dissent in Obergefell, um, and, and either a Gorsuch or a Kavanaugh could join. And actually, within a matter of months, if not this term, then early next term, um, actually reverse um, one of the decisions that has been central and most pivotal, uh, most pivotal to my life. So I think that it is, um, it is a humbling reminder for me um, of the work that lies ahead, not just in this election, um, but the work that will continue to go forward, regardless of the outcome. I mean, obviously, if, uh, if Trump is reelected, um, marriage equality appears to be dead, which is a, which is insane to me as an idea. Um, but it is apparently on the table. And I think um, for those who are thinking, you know, it doesn't really matter who wins the election or it doesn't matter if I vote or, you know, they're all the same anyway, or they're all politicians or, or people who just don't necessarily aren't as animated by the Supreme Court. Like, you know, someone um, you know a woman who has had to get an abortion either because, um, you know, for health reasons or because she felt like, you know, she was physically incapable of taking care of that child or emotionally or mentally or otherwise incapable of, of caring for the child. Um, you know, like someone who's gay, who like wants the ability to get married at some point. Um, and so, like, even if you don't feel like the vote matters for you. Like you, like it matters for someone that you undoubtedly love and care about. Um, and I hope that as we round out, like we are coming to a close, you know, like we're, we're 20 some odd days away from this election um, being over. And, you know, if you have not yet decided, you know, that your vote matters, um, I hope that, you know, the last week or two of events have been a reminder um, that it does and that you will make every effort to, um, to vote, if not for yourself. Um, than for someone you love. And I'm just going to echo that well because, you know, I've seen this 
thought going around on Twitter, which is if your vote didn't matter, why are they keep making it so hard uh, to keep you from doing it? Um, the, and I think it SCOTUS, uh, the United States Supreme Court just recently ruled in South Carolina regarding their ballots uh, that they have to have a witness requirement for uh, mail-in ballots. And the only, like mail-in voting is super safe. It's not, they, they can't find instances of fraud, but by requiring a witness, by requiring anything ticky-tack that can uh, basically ha allow for your ballot to be thrown out, the GOP is pushing it. Conservatives are pushing it. Um, you know, a la, you know, Governor Abbott, you know, saying that, you know, these counties with no populations in Texas should have the same amount of drop-off centers as Harris County, right? Like, it's absurd. It makes no sense. There's no actual justification for it other than they want to keep people. They want to make it as hard to vote as possible. And we've said it before on this pod. We have to overwhelm the system. We have to overcome all the hardships, the obstacles, the stumbling blocks that they put in the way um, to get there. Um, because we have to show Republicans that this is not acceptable, that you will never win another election unless and until you change your ways and your policies that frankly aren't positive, aren't popular. Um, so we have to vote. We have to take it seriously. Um, you, you know, talk to whoever you need to talk to, your cousins, your aunties, your uncles, <laughs> whoever. You know, everyone needs to vote and take this really seriously because, like Ed just outlined, like a lot of things are on the ballot that we thought shouldn't, wouldn't ever be questioned again, right? Like, gay marriage is really, really popular in America. We, most Americans agree that it's none of our business who you love. Love is love. Like, we, you, you're going to allow this anti democratic institution to determine someone else's right to love who they want? Like, Absolutely not. And I think like if nothing else like that and like taking away a woman's right to choose, like there is no more dangerous things to society that we could justify court packing to me. Like and, and I'm not and I like it's one of those things like with Trump with coronavirus, like I'm not a gay. I'll never have I'll personally have an abortion, but I care deeply about those things. And it's about empathy. Right. It's about caring about your fellow man, fellow woman, fellow citizen, fellow human. And we have to protect each other. That's how that's what makes democracy work is caring about your fellow man. Just individualism won't do it. We can't pretend that we're not interconnected. It won't be how we meet the challenge of climate change. You know, it won't be how we get out of this recession that coronavirus has brought us through. We have to care about one another. So I think that has to be why we vote, as Ed said. I think both very well said pieces. Uh, as always, guys, it's good to get with you. You guys stay safe. And